So, are you ready for some football this afternoon? Yeah. I, I'm sorry, I have to root for the Falcons. Um, and the good thing about it, let me tell you, the best thing about it, Copper gets to see his first Super Bowl today. Uh, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> uh, I have to tell you, Carolyn found this picture on Facebook of a wolf. And all it is is the head of the wolf. And the caption underneath says, the groundhog says six more weeks of winter, so I ate him. (laughs) That's my idea. I'll tell you. I talked to my son up in Idaho, and he said, boy, I'm tired of winter. (laughs) And we still have six more weeks to go. So uh, someone said to me this morning before the first service, I'm not sure he was trying to tell me something or not. He said, I have a good recipe for sermons. I said, is that right? Tell me. He said, add a little shortening. (laughs) He was having fun. I wasn't. (laughs) Maybe we'll shorten it up a little bit. I don't know. We're talking today about Jesus walking on the water. And uh, some of the same principles are going to come out of this that came out of last week's sermon and came out of um, uh, Tom's sermon three weeks ago. So repetition is a good thing, right? Uh, Maybe uh, with me, if God hits me often enough with something sooner or later, I seem to get it. So uh, let's bow together and pray as we begin. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus and all the things that he has done. Uh, We thank you, Father, that we can look back on the miracles of the New Testament and, and then many of us can look back at the miracles that have been done in our lives and in our families our homes, and we thank you, Father, that you have done those, and help us to remember them, help us, Father, to recall them, help us to depend upon them, to strengthen our faith for the future in the more difficult circumstances that may come along. So, Father, we give ourselves to you this morning. We ask you to grow us just a little more. Allow us to be developed into Christ just a little bit more so that, Father, we walk away with a stronger faith and a stronger love for you and constantly our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. So we give this to you, this time to you, ask you to use it for your glory in our lives, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Shoiki Yokoi. Sounds like a Japanese dinner, doesn't it? Uh, It isn't. It's a man. Uh, He was discovered in 1972 on Guam. Yokoi, uh, at the end of World War II, went into a cave on Guam, 1944, And he lived in that cave for the next 28 years. 
He ate things like frogs and rats and snails and shrimp, nuts and mangoes, and that's how he lived for 28 years. He actually knew that the war was over because Guam had been flooded with uh, uh, pamphlets. But he was afraid to come out because he believed if he did, he would be executed. Uh, The fact is, uh, he was discovered by a couple of hunters in 1972, at which time he became a national hero, even wrote a book. He wasn't the only one. After him, there were two more Japanese soldiers found, one in the Philippines and one in Indonesia. These were men hiding out in the jungles for all this time because they believed if they came out, they would be executed. We are talking today about the principle, fearful believers find strength in Christ. Fearful believers find strength in Christ. Here's what I want to try to get across to you. It is that sometimes it is easy to be afraid of something when there's nothing to be afraid of. You ever notice how sometimes we're afraid of things that really cannot hurt us? You know how many phobias there are in the world? I went online this week and tried to find out. It's impossible. I'll tell you why it's impossible in just a minute. But there are so many phobias that people have, and as a result, uh, we are constantly afraid of things that really can't hurt us. L- let me give you a few. I, I guess my favorite one is this one, phobophobia. That's the fear of fear. Well, I guess I fear fear. I, uh, here's one, xenophobia. That's the fear of the unknown. Here's another one, monophobia. That's the fear of being alone. And I guess this one is the one that causes us not to be able to figure out how many phobias there are. It is pantophobia, the fear of everything. It's the fear of everything. Panto is a Greek word meaning everything. There are some words I love. I love pan. In in Chinese, there's a wonderful word in Chinese, dongxi. Dongxi is whatever you want it to be. Chega dongxi, this thing. Nega dongxi, that thing. And uh, I, the result is, the reason you can't tell how many phobias there are is because you'd have to count everything that is in the world because people actually are afraid of everything. I wonder how they go in and sit down in a chair because it is a thing. And we discover that we are a people who tend to be afraid of things that really cannot hurt us. And the disciples find themselves in this predicament. I want to remind you that uh, this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 we talked about last week, enlightened the people to believe that Jesus was the prophet that was talked about in Deuteronomy 
And remember, that prophet would be like Moses. And what did Moses do? He fed the people of Israel in the wilderness. And here is Jesus feeding the people of Israel in the wilderness. So suddenly, it's common sense. He must be the prophet that is predicted by Moses, clear back in Deuteronomy. And it's important to understand that there was a lot of enthusiasm going on with these people. Uh, There was almost a frenzy. And the reason we know that is because in John chapter 6, we are told that they wanted him to be king so badly that they would have taken him by force if necessary, to be their king. Why? Because he was an easy meal ticket. Uh, But I want you to understand that they didn't have a full picture of things. See, they were part of the Roman Empire, and they didn't like being part of the Roman Empire. So when they thought king, they thought a conqueror. When they thought king, they thought a real king who would rescue them from the Romans. They thought that they could harness this great power that he had to create food out of nothing and therefore would be able to conquer the Romans with that harnessing of that power. Their own dreams, their own plans was at the the forefront of everything that they were thinking. In other words, they were being very selfish about this and probably were interested in forcing him to be their king. They wanted to use him. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to use him. Now, the thing I want to say about that is that it's possible that some or maybe all of the disciples joined in with this frenzy. It's possible, and I'll show you why I think that in just a little bit. It's possible that the disciples chimed in and said, yes, he's our king. Let's do this. Let's make him king. And so Jesus starts out in our text having to get control of the disciples. So let's take a look at our outline. The essence of the disciples' fear, the essence of the disciples' fear. I want you to understand that the people at this point wanted Christ's gifts without Christ's cross. And uh, the result is, is that we're going to talk about this text where the disciples become terrified. And the third word in becomes very important to us. Immediately, he made the disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. Circle the word made, he made. That's, that, that's the word that becomes very important. Uh, uh, it's the Greek word anakadzo. It, and I know that's meaningless to you, but, but here's the important thing about it. It means that he had to compel them. It means he had to force them. It means that he had to get control of his disciples, compel them, 
and force them to do his will and to get in a boat and to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so that's what makes me think that some of the disciples might have bought into this frenzy about him becoming a political king as opposed to what he was leading them to and then understanding the real kind of king that he would be. To the other side, while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. You might want to underline those words. He went up on a mountain by himself to pray. Now, here's what I get from that. If, in fact, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only individual who has ever existed who is 100% man and 100% God, the nature of the hypostatic union, if this person has to get away and be alone and talk to his father, then I do too. Makes sense. You know, if, if Jesus, and we find numerous times in the New Testament where Jesus went away to be alone, to pray, he had to talk to his father. And I think if he had to do it, then I'd better have to do it. I think if he did it, I'd better do it. I think if he needed it, I needed it a million times more. Because I'm not 100% man and 100% God. And I don't have this kind of relationship with the Father that Jesus has with the Father. And therefore, it's necessary for me. So whatever you think about having devotions in your life or, or anything like that, I frankly don't care. The fact is, Jesus did it. And if he needed it, I need it too. And so do you. So when I was pastoring for so many years, my secretary knew that on Thursday afternoon, I was not to be disturbed. After a while, I was disturbed several times. So I started getting in my truck and going out by the Sandy River. And I would put a lawn chair in the back of my truck and I would sit by the Sandy River and read and talk to my God. And uh, the result is, is that this kind of Communion with the Father is good for each one of us. So he went up on a mountain to pray. Uh, And when it was evening, he was there alone. And the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, literally harassed by the waves. For the wind was contrary, literally opposite. In other words, the boat was trying to go one way, but the wind was forcing it the opposite direction. And in the fourth watch of the night, somewhere between three and six in the morning, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, 
they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. Terrified, some translations would say they were fearful, but they weren't just fearful. They were terrified. I like the New American Standard text for many reasons, but they give real meaning to this word, uh, torasso, which means to be so frightened that you are frightened out of your wits. You don't know what to do. You're so frightened, you don't know which way to turn. They're terrified. And they think he's a ghost. Uh, the word is phantasma. The, the word we get our English word phantom from. And if you look in the King James text, it will tell you that they thought it was an apparition, an old word for a ghost. Uh, and uh, so it was a phantasma. <laughs> uh, and they cried out in fear. Now there's our word for fear, phobo or phobos. Uh, that's the word that we get phobia from, obviously. And this is normal fear. They cried out to him, uh, cried out in fear. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, circle the word if, because Peter knew it was Jesus. The others might have thought it was a ghost, but Peter knew it was Jesus. This little word if, you could translate literally since, if you like, because it, it shows that Peter knew who he was. Since it is you, Peter has confidence that it was him. Command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water uh, and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And so Peter finds himself on the water. And I love the phrase, but seeing the wind, he became frightened. And that's, we're going to spend time talking about that. So he is out on the water. And once he sees the problem going on around him, now he's going to feel alone. He's going to feel like uh, he's not getting what, he's, what he bargained for at this point. So the anxiety of the disciples existed because they thought they saw a ghost. Uh, there might be some sailor superstition in here. I'm not sure. That's a possibility. Some commentators would tell you that it wasn't uncommon for sailors to see strange things on the Sea of Galilee and think they were ghosts and various and sundry other things. So there may have been some superstition here. But here's what I want you to see. They see Jesus coming to them, walking on the water. And at least Peter knows precisely who this is. So I have to assume uh, others of the disciples knew it as well, even though there may have been those who said it was a ghost. With the evidence of one miracle in their hand, they become fearful and doubted the Savior. Remember, after the feeding of 5,000, they collected 12 baskets of bread. 
you might imagine this. Jesus says, all right, you guys, stop fooling around. Get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake. I'll meet you there. And you might imagine one of them says, well, guys, what are we going to do with all this bread? Well, one might say, why don't we take some of it with us and we can have dinner on the way with it? And so they probably, probably have some of these 12 baskets of bread in the boat with them. This miracle is only hours old when the walking on the water miracle takes place. And the result of that is, is that they have the miracle of one, they have the results of one miracle in their hand, and here they are only hours later, and the doubt sets in. It's a ghost of all things. Um, And I think that this same principle comes back to us. God wants his people to remember the things he has done in the past. This is repetition for you. Tom preached it three weeks ago. I preached it last week. And now I preach it again. God wants us to remember the miracles that he has done in our lives. God wants us, uh, I can't tell you how many times in the Old Testament, God said to the people of Israel, remember, remember, remember. Remember when, remember when. And the result of that is he wants us to remember as well. He wants us to keep in front of us the things that he has done. So I don't know whether you're remembering any or not. And if you are, write them down. Read them to your children. Read them to your grandchildren. Make sure that you are remembering what it is God has done for you in the past so that when you get to the next circumstance, you can say, I can trust God for this. I don't know what's going on in all of your lives in this room, but you know, I could tell you what's going on, Carolyn, in my life. We have a dear relative, a cousin of Carolyn's, who's dying of cancer. Bible teacher, uh, teaches at a Bible school, and she's dying of cancer. And every text and every email we get is discouraging. And Carolyn cries. And, and, uh, but, you know, we have to trust God because we have seen God work before. And even if he takes her, he will glorify himself. And that's really all we care about. Let's take a look at the alarm. Peter, the alarm of Peter was because he took his eyes off of Jesus. The reason I chose Matthew for this text, by the way, instead of John, is that John isn't complete. Matthew is more complete. Matthew is the only one that gives us the whole story about Peter and his walking on the water and his taking his eyes off of Jesus and beginning to slip and sink and uh, Jesus having to save him. See, fear struck Peter when he looked at what threatened him. See, when you and I concentrate on the problems in our lives more than we concentrate on Jesus, then we will become discouraged and our faith will be weakened. 
when we look at all the trouble, you know, I, I hear some people look at the political situation in our world and they think the world's coming to an end. And it may, I don't know. But the fact is, is that I know who's in charge. And the, the result is, is that we, if we put our mind on those things that are going on in our lives, that it's all wrong, and we fix our eyes on that, then we're going to be in trouble because our faith is going to be weakened and we're going to be discouraged. See, his very fear was due to what his eyes saw and what his heart forgot. His heart knew what Jesus had done just hours ahead of this. He may have eaten some of the bread that was in the 12 baskets left over. But he turns his eyes onto the storm. And the text says, when he saw the wind, when he saw the storm, then he begins to sink. And that's what will happen to us. When we concentrate more on the storm, when we concentrate more on the finances that we don't have, or the family member who's dying, or the problem in our marriage, uh, uh, if we concentrate more on the difficulties with our kids or our grandkids, and that's what we concentrate on, rather than who God is and what God can do and what God has already done in the past, then we're going to get discouraged. Trouble will discourage you. That's why you have to fix your eyes on Jesus and keep them fixed on Jesus. That's the value of going off to a mountain place alone and spending time talking to the Father. So, uh, let me comment briefly. We have a million distractions in our world. We live in a high-tech world. Carolyn and I, Thursday night is our date night. So, I usually say, don't ask us to do anything Thursday night because that's the night when I sit down with her and I say, honey, do you still love me? Uh, am I doing anything you don't like me to do? Are there any needs that you have that you don't think I know about or that I could fulfill that I'm not doing? And I ask her all these questions and uh, we usually go to a restaurant where it's neutral ground and uh, um, so... Uh, we'll be sitting there and pretty soon my phone will go off. And suddenly I'm talking to my phone and I'm not talking to her. Now, uh, she, bless her heart, she never says anything about it. But I'm beginning to believe what I need to do is leave my phone in the car and not take it in the restaurant. Because that's the only way I can spend my concentrated time on her. Now that may be a feeble illustration, but don't you think we get distracted from God so easily in our lives? You know, my grandchildren are hardly out of bed before they're texting. Uh, they're always in their pajamas. Uh, and uh, I mean in the mornings. And uh, the result is, is that we are so tied to it sometimes that I think 
it takes the place of where God should be in our lives. So fearful believers find strength in Christ. Let's take a look at the extent of Christ's strength. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Underline those three statements. Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him, Peter, and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Well, we know why he doubted, because he took his eyes off Jesus and put his eyes on the storm. And uh, I want you to see that it is I is a statement of fact. Jesus, it's, it's an indicative. So Jesus is simply making a statement of fact. But when he says, take courage and do not be afraid, those are imperatives. They are commands. So he is commanding the disciples at this point to take courage. Sometimes we just have to decide to buck up and move forward. That has to happen sometimes. And do not be afraid. Sometimes we have to tell ourselves, God is in charge, I'm not. God is in charge, the storm is not. Therefore, I will not be afraid. So the assurance of the disciples came from the words of Christ. Take courage. Do not be afraid. One positive, one negative. Uh, Fear uh, will always bring discouragement to us. Uh, And fear sometimes resorts to other things. Fear sometimes will force me to resort to some other bad habit. Uh, For some people, it might be alcohol or drugs or or some other sin or, or something that's not sin. For me, it might be, I know fishing very well. I could go fishing and I could stay fishing, but that's not what I should be doing with my life. And so as a result... It may be a sin issue. It may not be a sin issue. But fear will drive us sometimes to resort to other things. Assurance comes to believers when they hear Christ's voice. Uh, You remember when I reached down and picked up the card and I looked at Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am Yahweh, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Now, I know those were not the words of Jesus, but that was God speaking to me. And when God speaks to you, it will lift you up. And if you don't give God a chance to speak to you, if you don't get alone with him from time to time, if you don't find a a position and an atmosphere and an an area and... uh, an opportunity for God to speak into your life, then he probably won't. Uh, So the result is assurance comes to believers when they hear Christ's voice. The assurance of Peter came from the hand, I'm sorry, the assistance for Peter came from the hand of Jesus. And notice the word says it was immediate. Immediately Jesus reached out. To him, See, Peter cried out for a physical saving 
But Jesus reached down and gave spiritual restoration to his faith. So when Jesus reached down and grabbed Peter, Peter was saved physically without a doubt. But make no mistake, Peter is seeing another miracle in the acting, in the process. He is seeing Jesus reach down, who is still standing on water, and pick Peter out of the water. Um, doubt will often crowd out our faith. So if we get to the place where we are discouraged and our eyes are off of Jesus and we're not talking to the Father, doubt will set in and it will crowd out our faith. Someone has said, worry is the dark room that develops many negatives. And I know that is true because I've tried it. Uh, Fear will cause worry. These signs that John calls them always point to something else. And in this case, it is pointing to how to deal with fear and worry in our lives. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Be walking with him. Uh, I read about a woman who worried a lot. She, wor- she couldn't sleep at night for many years because she was worried that a burglar would, would come into the house. So she worried about burglars. And uh, years afterwards, her husband heard something downstairs, and he went down there, and sure enough, there's a burglar. And he said, am I glad to see you? <laughs> he said, I want you to come upstairs and meet my wife. She's been waiting 10 years to meet you. See, when we focus on our fears, we often make poor choices. But when we direct our attention to God through prayer, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus rather than the storm, the fact is, the misery can be dramatically reduced. And that's what God wants us to learn through this miracle. So Jesus said regularly, do not be afraid. He does not want his people to be afraid. He knew the kind of storms we would face. He knew the kind of physical issues we would face. He knew the kind of financial issues we would face. Remember, he is omniscient. He knows everything from the beginning to the end. So as you go to communion this morning, as you talk to God privately, maybe I would give you three questions again, and two of them are very related. The first question is, do you remember the things that he has done in the past? Same question I gave you last week. Do you remember the things he has done in the past? And the second question is, can you keep your eyes on Jesus? Can you find a way to keep your eyes on Jesus? Can you find a place, a time, where you can get away, be alone, and talk to the Father? And finally, this first question, I mean last question, relates to the first. Will you hold on to the last miracle that Jesus did to aid you when you need another one? And that's the same as saying, 
Do you remember what God has done for you in the past? Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for these principles. Thank you, Father, that we we walk with you on a daily basis. And perhaps some of us have not been as faithful in getting alone with you and talking with you. And there have been times, Father, no doubt, when we have taken our eyes off of Jesus. There have been times when we've been distracted by some of the things of the world. But, Father, we come to you this morning, and, God, we want you to do miracles in our, in our lives. We want you to do miracles in our church. And so, Father, we pray that you'll direct our hearts, our minds, to the things that you've already done so that we are reminded that you are the great God of the universe. And it's all about you. It's not about us. It's really all about you. It's not about our church. So, Father, we give ourselves to you this morning and ask you to take our lives as we remember what Jesus has done for us. Allow us, Father, to grow just a little more again so that we bring honor and glory to you. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.